Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danka, Bharati Jagdish, and Ryan Huang with you. I got a good one for you. Mm. Could you live on a farm? Actually, that's been my fantasy for many years. I've really? always wanted to live on a farm, a conventional farm, you know, where uh, I can have uh, livestock, animals. Like but the cows, yeah, sheepdogs. <laughs> oh, it's nice. But, but, but you see, for me, it's an idealistic thing. I wouldn't use them for subsistence. They'd be my friends, you know. I'd, I'd hang out with them. <laughs> so, so this is this is also what I'm thinking, right? Like, yeah. like... I find pigs are cute. Yeah. <laughs> so how could I, you know, like, ah, it's just so, yeah. it's a conversation. That, yeah. Okay, what, what about but if, if we're talking about plant life, ah, it, it would be that? very good. I mean, yeah. of course, people Sweet say potato, plants are... carrots. Yeah, if people say plants are also living things and they are true, uh, but what else are you going to eat, right? So instead of eating the livestock, I wouldn't mind doing some subsistence farming in the sense that I grow my own food and okay. eat it. I think it's a more sustainable way to live. And in fact, you know, the interesting thing is that during COVID-19, when people were working from home, I noticed that a lot of them started growing vegetables at home. Yeah, and then you have this whole like an indoor farm sort of movement and, yeah. and then there's the Singapore 30 by 30 goal and everything seems to be falling in place very nicely. Yeah, it's about food security, yes, right? And yes. those supply chain snarls and things like that have also, I think, made governments realise it's time to ramp up food security. Uh, so harnessing tech to grow food, mm. indoor farming innovators are also making locally produced and fresher food more accessible to Singaporean consumers. So the rise of Agritech 4.0, the use of big data, IoT, all this you know disruptive emerging technologies in agriculture, that's really at the heart of indoor farming solutions. Mm, it doesn't sound very romantic, like my <laughs> fantasy where I'm sitting in a nice meadow and uh, you know having me time or our time yeah. with a cow. But it really does help increase farm yields, improve the efficiency of water, other inputs, build sustainability and resilience across crop cultivation. Do we call this do we call this digitalized farming <laughs> in a way? See, tech is attached to everything these days, yeah. right? Now we're talking farm tech. Uh, so what really does a digitalized farming future look like? What does it mean for global food security, sustainable development, especially in our small uh, but changing agri-tech landscape? To help us out, uh, Stuart Oda is joining us. He's founder and CEO of Aleska Life. Good morning, Stuart. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. And nice to be speaking to you as well about a very topical issue, especially since COVID-19. Tell us more, though, about what aspects of digital farming and precision farming you are looking into currently. Yeah, so, you know, I'm the founder and CEO of Alaska Life, and we offer uh, what we call farming as a service. And by this, we mean that we provide turnkey vertical farms for businesses that are looking to localize food production, for example, uh, in Singapore. Uh, and we also uh, offer what we call precision farming solutions, uh, and this is software as well as IoT devices, just like the ones that you just mentioned, uh, to be able to maximize the productivity and efficiency of existing food production uh, in more traditional settings, for example, like in greenhouses. Uh, and, um, you know, we're looking to, to really add value to the kind of the, the first leg uh, of agriculture, uh, which is food production. Uh, Stuart, I understand you started the business in China um, interesting move. Uh, tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, sure. So um, I guess uh, in another lifetime, I was an investment banker, uh, and before, and then uh, after that, I worked uh, in the IT uh, IT sector. Uh, but I realized that during a lot of my work, um, that there were a lot of uh, challenges and opportunities that existed in emerging market countries uh, like China um, and all across Southeast Asia. And one of these challenges was related to infrastructure and people's access, uh, their ability to access high quality, fresh, and nutritious food. You know, really, this wasn't. This might be something that's very common uh, in Singapore, but maybe less so uh, in more developing countries and up-and-coming cities. Uh, and so um, really kind of out of that frustration, I wanted to find a way uh, where uh, food, you know, healthy, nutritious, safe food could be accessed by anyone anywhere. And in China, you know, there's kind of these big trends that people talk about. You know, urbanization is accelerating. Uh, the middle class is becoming, um, you know, more wealthy, more educated. You know, consumers are demanding much higher quality food. Uh, and it was kind of the perfect opportunity to be testing this, uh, you know, this thesis around uh, equal access to fresh food. You know, one of the things that people don't really talk too much about, you know, is kind of when urbanization is accelerating, what is actually happening uh, is a lot of uh, farmers uh, and people that are working in primary production are moving to the cities. Uh, and it's estimated that across emerging markets in China and in Southeast Asia, uh, you know, over 100 million farmers uh, will leave the fields uh, over the next, uh, over the next uh, 10 to 15 years. And also kind of the arable land that's available per person uh, is actually relatively low compared to more developed countries. And so, you know, in a country as the size of China that's producing as much food as China's producing, you know, there still is a huge demand for this kind of technology to be able to increase productivity, to be able to grow closer to the consumer. Mm. So we're not just talking about making traditional arable farmland more productive. We're talking about urban farming, aren't we, essentially, considering the move yeah, so to urban that- areas? Absolutely. So there's there's two things happening. One is um, enabling new forms of production uh, closer to consumption. So we're talking about indoor urban farming. Uh, this could be uh, kind of brand new capacity that's being built, or it could be, uh, let's say, for example, taking uh, a parking structure that is now not being used because, you know, everyone is using Grab in Singapore. So now they go to the movie theater and then the car continues the journey and the parking lot at that, at that mall is now empty. And so converting uh, urban infrastructure uh, into food producing uh, you know, hubs is also is one thing that we're talking about. Um, and another thing that we're talking about is, is also, you know, traditional farms um, can be significantly more productive uh, if the right tools are given to the farmers. Uh, and so, you know, we're tackling this challenge in both areas, uh, both in the urban context uh, with indoor vertical farms and also in the more traditional setting uh, using, uh, using IoT devices and software. All right. Uh, then let's talk about some of the most common forms of indoor farming. What does that picture look like uh, for those of us that's never seen something like that? Yeah, sure. So indoor farming, um, I guess, kind of falls into categories. This is uh, one is uh, more completely controlled environment. Uh, this is uh, called indoor vertical farming. And the other one that probably most people have seen is greenhouses. And both of these, uh, both of these are considered indoor farming and the uh, environment and, and the climate can be controlled. You know, the one that we're tackling for the urban context is, is an indoor vertical farm. So all aspects of the environment can be controlled, everything from the air temperature to the humidity uh, down to exactly what is in the water source fed to the plants. You know, as, you, as you'd imagine, because it's completely indoors and completely sealed, you know, all the kind of natural elements are replaced uh, with, uh, with, uh, with, you know, artificial elements. Um, so sunlight is replaced with uh, artificial lighting like LEDs. The soil uh, is replaced with usually a biodegradable alternatives uh, so the seeds can be planted in an environment that is soilless and you know these in order to take advantage of the density of production that's possible uh, when there's no sunlight or soil we can grow in three dimensions which means that uh, the production can be stacked on top of each other and so these farms can be 
can range from five floors of production all the way up to 15 floors of production, uh, depending on depending on the facility. Mm. So it's an incredibly dense amount of production happening on a very small footprint. So no land, we go up. Mm-hmm. You go up to the skies where there are no limits. Uh, let's talk about all of this in the context of Singapore and maybe other countries as well, because clearly you've moved beyond China. I'm sure COVID-19 has increased the urgency for food security in various parts of the world. Give us an idea of the landscapes that you're operating in and how urgent it is to address these issues right now. Yeah, sure. So right now we're operating in China, uh, parts of the Middle East, uh, and we're finalizing projects uh, in Southeast Asia as well as in Scandinavia. I would say that what's exciting is that the same technology uh, of indoor farming um, can address many different types of challenges. Uh, so, for for example, uh, in places that have quality control issues uh, or food safety issues, indoor vertical farming is a way uh, to be able to manage and control quality uh, and consistency uh, in ways that conventional farms uh, are unable to do. Uh, in places that uh, are constrained by land uh, and resources, for example, a lack of water. Uh, indoor vertical farms use 90 to 99% less water compared to conventional farms. So, again, the same technology can address that issue. Uh, in places that import the majority of their food, uh, 80 to 90% of their food, for example, like a place like Singapore, you know, indoor vertical farming can be a way to help localize at least um, a certain percentage uh, of the nutritional needs of the local community uh, by growing it on site. And so, you know, what's really exciting is the technology is very versatile in addressing um, a multitude of challenges that governments and cities and communities uh, are facing around the world. Mm. And really with COVID-19, what's, you know, I guess what's exciting for our team is that kind of prior to the pandemic, a lot of the focus was on the convenience of the consumer. So how fast can I get a delivery? You know, how convenient is it for me to prepare something, to access something? And what COVID-19 kind of brought to light is, you know, the, the need for uh, the community to be resilient. So the movement went from a convenience-based mindset to a, to a resilience-based mindset. And so, you know, indoor vertical farming is definitely something that can add a lot of resilience uh, to local communities and cities. Uh, and this is what's really exciting for us. You know, the number of inquiries that we get from around the world, um, you know, for these communities that are looking to build resilience, uh, you know, it's astounding. Mm. Uh, Stuart, I, I got a, an opinion slash curious question for you on this. So let's let's try and have fun with it. When you have such technology, it means weather control, uh, both uh, from from the bad elements and to provide a good environment. Is it possible that in Singapore we can expand this sort of indoor farming, vertical farming to a point where it makes up a large portion of our economy? We're able to export potatoes and carrots. Is that possible? Yeah, I would say that uh, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, one thing that, that indoor vertical farming enables is the completely decentralization of food production. Mm. So. Um, what's exciting is that the technology can definitely be developed in Singapore. Um, some aspects can even be manufactured in Singapore and exported. What's really valuable for indoor farming is that it can be uh, assembled really as close as possible to the source of consumption. So, for example, instead of growing uh, the products, the produce in Singapore and shipping them to Kuala Lumpur, you know, the idea would be to to build a, to develop the technology in Singapore, manufacture maybe even a portion of it. Um, and then build an indoor vertical farm in KL uh, to grow fresh produce locally there as well. And so what's really exciting about this is it takes away that central aspect of farming. You know, the food miles are expanding every year um, across our supply chains. And this is an opportunity for us to shorten that supply chain. Clearly in Singapore, we have some targets, yeah? So to increase food security by a certain percentage, by a certain year, all of this is constantly being reviewed and discussed 
How confident are you, based on your knowledge of the landscape here, that uh, this is something that can happen exponentially in the next few years? How exponentially, based on your assessment? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a possible target. Uh, and the reason why I say that is that um, very much like lab-grown meat and alternative proteins, the cost curves are coming down uh, exponentially. And so the affordability of the final product, the affordability of even the technology and the systems themselves uh, is becoming um, higher and higher and higher. Uh, so just to kind of give you an example, um, our our cost of production um, has come down by 130 times uh, in the in the last five to six years. And so, you know, what used to be unaffordable head of lettuce is now something that's incredibly competitive to imports and organic fresh produce. Uh, and we have a clear line of sight to being cost parity to more conventional uh, greenhouses uh, over the next 12 to 14 months. And mm. so what's really exciting is that there's this huge convergence of technology models that are coming together. Uh, and with the right partnerships and operational kind of foundation, um, this kind of technology can add a huge amount of value, you know, to these communities uh, in the form of really affordable. So it's not something that would, you know, require the Singapore government to be subsidizing every head of lettuce that, that people buy that's local. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something that, that as a standalone business uh, can be successful. Mm, definitely more sustainable. On the line with us this morning is Stuart Oda, who is founder and CEO of Alaska Life. Stuart, you, you, you mentioned about partnerships, so let's talk about that. Uh, you guys have established a partnership with a few companies to build the largest indoor farming project in China. Tell us about that project, and if you could compare, I mean, what's the size compared to a regular farm, a normal farm, but what's the output as well compared to a normal farm since this uh, is indoor farming? Yeah, sure. So um, like I said earlier, uh, indoor vertical farms have incredibly dense production. So kind of the, maybe the easiest way to explain it is that compared to the uh, an equivalent conventional farm, um, you use between 95 to 90, 97% less water, mm-hmm. fertilizer, and land. Yeah. Uh, so an enormously efficient way to produce. Um, we're also launching this project uh, in southern China um, in the Chengdu Chongqing Economic uh, corridor. Okay. Uh, and this is a, there are kind of five of these corridors of these hubs that were announced by the Chinese government. And the one that we're targeting um, has 100 million people in terms of population. Uh, and it has a $1 trillion of economy. So uh, it's right in the heart uh, of that um, and servicing the greater Chengdu area. Uh, and what's exciting is kind of from a production capacity perspective, it allows to scale uh, the, the production of local fresh produce uh, and service a lot of the local businesses, uh, as well as uh, the local consumers through supermarkets. Um, and so uh, unlike some of these uh, like very small-scale projects that you know we traditionally did in the past that were servicing a single hotel or a single restaurant, this is something that we can uh, supply fresh produce at a much, much larger scale. What are your plans uh, for the future? And this is coming on the back of often criticism or feedback from certain quarters in any population who might say that, you know, the best way is the old way rather than, you know, with all this high-tech gear. Uh, Then again, governments seem to be very on board with the high-tech gear because of the largest economies of scale and efficiencies that you have been describing. So in terms of getting buy-in and growth, what's next for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say that you know, I founded Alaska back in 2013, and since then, you know, there's, there's been a huge shift in mindset and dialogue. Uh, and before, you know, really, there the, the kind of the more common voices were exactly what you mentioned. Uh, there was a lot of pushback. Um, you know, I think we're getting to a point where, where indoor farming um, is not going to solve world hunger. I think that's pretty clear. But what indoor farming will do is create this community resiliency. So what Singapore is targeting, for example, in the 30 by 30, uh, is something where, you know, a certain percentage 
of the local needs is done locally. That's where indoor farming will play a very, very key role, where um, fresh produce and highly nutritious food um, are highly seasonal in some cases. And to be able to provide, you know, consistent access throughout the year uh, is going to become a, a material, is going to become a very important uh, objective for, for the government. Um, and what's, I guess what's exciting is really there's a lot of uh, momentum around this um, and a lot of large-scale manufacturing partners and even, you know, strategic partners that, that you know, that are excited to distribute the technology throughout the world, you know, these are all popping up. You know, when we started back in 2013, you know, a lot of skepticism around whether the technology would ever be able to uh, be competitive. Uh, and what we're, you know, what the industry is proving, not just Alaska, uh, is that this is, uh, you know, a viable means of producing fresh produce and that, you know, in even some cases, um, there can be a carbon offset. So instead of importing fresh produce, let's say, from Western Australia, like in Singapore, by producing it locally, there can be a carbon offset um, by removing that lengthy logistical supply chain. And so despite using all the elites, using all the uh, energy and climate control, um, you know, there's still an opportunity to be more environmentally friendly by producing more locally. Wow. Uh, we've been speaking with uh, Stuart Oda, who is founder and CEO of Alaska Life. Stuart, appreciate your time this morning. Take care and stay safe. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.